Hello everyone and welcome back. I hope you're having the most beautiful day. Today I want us to chat about 10 mistakes that are keeping your income below 5k a month. Mistakes that weirdly I never see other online business coaches talk about so I thought they would make the perfect episode. I'm also going to dive into some of the mistakes that I made when I first began my business because that's a question that I get asked a lot is what would I do differently if I could go back or what mistakes did I make back then that I would caution people to avoid now. So whether you're in your first few years of your online service business or you've been in business for a while but you don't make more than 5k a month which is 60k a year then this episode is for you. And for the handful of you that do make over 60k a year, I believe that at least six or seven of the mistakes that I'm going to discuss apply to you. So don't tune out. Okay, let's jump in. Hello and welcome to The Simple Business Show. I'm Nisha, online business coach, boat lifer and 10-year travelling entrepreneur. This is a podcast to inspire and teach freedom seekers like you how to make a full-time income online without working full-time hours so you can have the time, location and financial freedom to live the lifestyle you dream of. In my corner of the internet, we keep business simple because life is for living and business is just a small part of that big, beautiful life. It shouldn't take over your entire world. You can make a reliable income online without constant hustle, overwhelm, or working full time. And on this podcast, I aim to show you how. The thing that is so great about being in business for 10 years now is that I've had a lot of years to make mistakes and learn from them and be able to guide others and stop them from making the same mistakes. It also means that I've had the opportunity to coach hundreds of business owners, so I've seen patterns and mistakes that tend to come up again and again, and I believe they contribute to why a business owner isn't making at least 5k a month, which like I said is 60k a year. When I say 5k a month, I'm just breaking down 60k a year. So don't get too focused on thinking I have to make exactly 5k every single month or whatever your preferred monthly income goal is because it's normal to have ups and downs, to have low months and high months in your income that equal out to say 5k a month. You're hopefully paying yourself the same amount every month if you've managed to save up a few months of wages in your business account instead of living month to month on what you've literally just made. That's not always possible, but it is the best practice. But um, yeah, I just wanted to, to quickly iron that out before we jump in because I don't want any of you to start panicking if you say make 5k one month and then you make 3k the next month. I don't want you to panic and think that something is wrong with you or your business is broken because that is pretty normal in business. You're usually going to make different amounts each month depending on what happens in that month. And it just should all average out to your goal. So if you have a low month, 
you're most likely going to have a higher month or you can try and plan for a higher month to make up for that. So before we discuss the 10 mistakes that are keeping you below 5k a month, I want to discuss two mistakes that I made when I first started out. So the first mistake was not investing in courses or coaches and always teaching myself everything and essentially reinventing the wheel. I think there are times when you have to do this, especially if you just broke you know like if you're if you're super broke then yeah fair enough you cannot really invest in things like that and you do have to teach yourself everything but from my experience what I've seen with a lot of online business owners is that more often than not they have the money to invest in something in their business that could help them to earn more or improve an area of their business really quickly but they choose not to invest in that and to just figure it all out themselves. And this is something that I most definitely did. I did this because I feel, I thought, well, you know, I can just teach myself that. I can just figure that out myself. I can use YouTube, Pinterest, Google. And what ended up happening was it took me an awfully long time to set up systems and processes or learn certain marketing strategies that I could have learned so much faster if I had just chosen to do the smart thing and simply turn to learning from someone who's already been here, done that and bought the t-shirt. So for me, in my first few years of business, I really struggled to make over 10K in those years. And I honestly do think that if I hadn't spent so much time experimenting, trying to figure things out, trying all these different marketing things, essentially like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. If I hadn't wasted time reinventing the wheel and had chosen to learn from someone who had done what I wanted to do already, I would have made over 10K and started making a full-time income from my online business much, much sooner. So that is one of the top mistakes that I think that I personally made in my business when I first started out, was teaching myself everything, reinventing the wheel and essentially costing myself lots of money in the process because instead of spending all that time learning everything by myself, I could have invested the money in the education that I needed, in the mentors, in the courses that I needed, and then made that money back and then some much, much sooner. So when it comes to, you know, investing in your business, investing in courses, uh, coaching programs, one-to-one coaching, whatever it may be that suits you best, I always try and think of it in terms of what is the return on investment that I'm going to get from this? Because we can often get so caught up on what we are losing initially, which is going to be some financial sum, right? So we get so caught up on what we are quote unquote losing that we don't really focus on what we would gain. And that's a shame because we often end up missing out on more money and more time because we're afraid to invest in ourselves. And this often happens because of a few things. It could be scarcity mindset where you feel the need to always hold on to your assets, where you are a bit hyper vigilant or hyper concerned about uh, investments and about 
spending and about money. You just kind of want to hoard all of it and not spend it. Um, that's definitely a money scarcity mindset thing. It can often also happen, um, this issue of like not wanting to ever invest in yourself and your business and your own education uh, because you don't believe that you're worth investing in, which is a shame. And I think a lot of people don't even realise that they do believe this. But I've definitely seen this come up a lot with clients, this subconscious belief that they are not worth investing in because deep down they don't think that they are a quote unquote real uh, designer or real copywriter or real coach because deep down they don't get why somebody else would pay them this amount to do something that they love or to do something that they're good at. And um, this is really damaging, not only to your time and your money, uh, not only causing you to miss out on investing in the things that can help you grow way faster and way easier, but it's damaging because the people with this belief that they're not worth investing in, almost always undercharge, almost always. Because if they don't think that they themselves are worth investing in with their own money, they're gonna find it even more difficult to ask other people to invest in them. So enough of that one. The next mistake that I made when I first started my business was constantly rebranding, constantly. Like I I went through a stage where I just redesigned my website probably every month or two. And sometimes I didn't like publish the changes. I would just make the designs in Photoshop and then I would get bored and I'd decide to change it again and then again. And I'd do the same with my logo and my color palette. It was like, I could never settle on a brand and website that I felt was good enough. And the same went for my messaging and my tagline. I could never settle on a tagline or homepage copy that was just right. There was always something that I felt could be changed or improved, or there was always something that didn't feel quite right. And as a result of that, I wasted so much time rebranding and redesigning. And that is time that I could have invested in my online education. It's time I could have invested in marketing and finding more clients and earning more of an income. So don't do that. Don't constantly rebrand. It is fine as it is. Honestly, just if you're in the beginning stages of your business, try not to focus on things like that that aren't such a priority as marketing, finding clients, Um, making sure that you are working with those clients effectively and really giving them an amazing experience. All of these things are what matter more than your brand feeling absolutely perfect because I think that that is just a bit of perfectionism showing up and I do believe it's also procrastination in disguise. Because if you're constantly focusing on rebranding, if you're constantly focusing on redoing your website, you don't have to face the things that you're dreading, like marketing. You don't have to do the things that you don't like. You don't have to do the things that you're scared of. So I think that's just a bit of a procrastination strategy and avoidance strategy. That's what I think that is. 
One thing that I am really glad that I did was niche down. And I, I kind of did this accidentally in the very beginning. My niche was my style. I had a very hand-drawn, almost childish kind of style when I first started my business as a graphic designer and I designed logos and blog designs, things like that. And so that early on automatically became my niche without me fully realizing that it was. And then even when I switched from being a freelance designer to being an online business coach, I still chose a niche. I didn't just become an online business coach for all online service providers. For the first couple of years, I only worked with freelance designers because that made sense because that was what I had the most experience in. And that really helped my, uh, my course to stand out because at the time there were other courses for um, teaching people how to set up systems and processes and strategies in their business, but there wasn't a course that was teaching just designers how to do this. And so that made my course stand out immediately. And it made my course the go-to course for designers who wanted to set up their, sh- their systems and processes um, and their design process. So I think, I, I strongly, strongly think, strongly believe niching down, especially in the beginning, is always, always going to help you. You don't always have to stay in that niche. I think that's what makes a lot of people afraid of niching down, but you just have to choose a for now niche, not a forever niche. This is what I always say, and I think that it's the mindset that people need to adapt when niching down, because then it helps them to stop worrying about boxing themselves in and tying themselves down to this one and only niche, like they can never change it. You can change your niche, but do that when you're an established business and you've built a following and you've built a reputation. Because once you've got those things down, then yeah, you can expand your niche without it, you know, being detrimental to your business. But if you choose a niche in the beginning, it will definitely help you to make an income, grow your audience and stand out way faster as a newbie than without one. Another really good example of this is I recently began a YouTube vlog. So it's a totally new channel that I've started to document the uh, renovation process of my boat, my tiny floating home. And because it is so niche, it has managed to stand out pretty quickly. And I got about 1000 subscribers in, I think it was two weeks. And the channel has existed now for six weeks and I think it should get monetized next week. So I've seen channels in bigger niches like the van life niche, for instance. I've got some friends who've got vlogs in that niche, which is a very big one who haven't monetized their channel for about a year and a half. They've had to vlog weekly, every single week for for a year and a half before they can monetize. Or channels that had no niche at all, they just post about anything that they want and it has taken them years to build up a following and get monetized. Whereas I picked a small niche and I've posted seven videos and I'm already gonna be monetized soon. So that is honestly the power of choosing a niche. And if you're 
worried about choosing one, about choosing the right one, you're not sure how niche down is too niche down or you know how to pick a niche you're not gonna get bored of, I do teach you how exactly how to niche down in my program. Okay, so enough of the mistakes that I made when I first began. I now wanna walk you through 10 mistakes that are keeping you below 5K a month. So mistake number one is relying solely on one marketing strategy to get clients and build your audience. Having one marketing strategy feels so simple and that's why it's so enticing. That's why you see a lot of business owners relying on referrals to bring in clients or just relying on Instagram. But if you remember the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket, That's what you're doing when you focus on one marketing strategy only. The problem ends up lying in your lack of control over where your clients are coming from because you only have 50% control over whether you bring in referrals or not. After you do a great job and you ask for referrals, maybe even have an incentivized program, then it's really down to other people, whether they refer new clients to you or not. And the same goes for social media apps too. You don't control the algorithm and you don't own your followers. So at any moment, the algorithm could change and your reach could drop. Or the social media app that you've been using can lose popularity or go out of business, like MySpace or something like that. And if that was the only marketing tool you've been using, then your business could be in serious danger. We're seeing Instagram struggle with this at the moment. Now, I don't think Instagram will go anywhere and I don't think that it will remain in this bit of a slump that it's in right now. I think it will come out of it and still remain one of the top social media apps because it's an all-in-one sort of platform. You've got the ability to post photos as well as videos and stories. You've got DMs, you can go live. You can do all of those things on one platform. I also think even if it does lose a lot of its users, it's not gonna go anywhere. And that might actually work out better for you, better for you if you stick with the platform because there'll be less competition and that will mean that it's easier for you to get your content seen and grow on the platform. But Instagram's slump right now shows us the importance of not really relying solely on one marketing strategy, especially a social media app to bring you clients. That's why Instagram isn't the only marketing tool that I teach in my program, because I think if I did only teach you one marketing strategy, as enticingly simple as that seems, I feel it would be neglectful of me because I'd be putting your business in danger. So I like to say to people, pick two or three marketing strategies to focus on. And of those two or three, please make one of them email marketing if you can, because you own your email subscribers, whereas you don't own your followers. So even if the email marketing platform that you use goes out of business, you can just migrate to another one. You never lose those people that are on your list, not unless they unsubscribe. Okay, mistake number two is to do with your free opt-in for your email list. Mistake number two is making a PDF instead of a free email course. 
Now I do have one PDF, it's called the starter kit for booking clients consistently that I haven't had time to switch to an email course yet. So don't come at me about that. But for the longest time I've had email courses over the entire 10 years I've been in business and they have worked wonders for my business regardless of what I sell, whether that is a service or a digital product. So when I first started my business, I created a free email course called the Brand Discovery Course. And this helped my subscribers to discover their brand personality. My business at the time was graphic and web design. So my clients really needed to have their brand personality nailed before working with me. And that's exactly why I created this free course. I once looked up all of my clients in my email service provider and all of them had been through that free email course before working with me. So it was a fantastic way to not only get clients and show them that I knew what I was doing, but also prepare my clients to work with me. So by creating an email course that solved a problem that they tended to have before hiring a designer, I've positioned myself to be the designer that they would then work with. I've also had a couple more email courses, free email courses after that one. My most recent one I made last year and just before making that email course, my email open rate had dropped to about 18 to 25, 18 to 25%. And the industry average in the online business space is about 22 or 25%. I'm pretty sure it's 22% if I remember correctly. But after the free email course that I made, my open rate has consistently stayed around 44%. So every week when I'm sending my emails out, about 44% of my subscribers are reading them, which is pretty much double the industry average. But how did the free email course affect the open rate so much? When people opt into your email list and they download a free PDF, it usually just sits in their downloads folder gathering dust. But when they opt into a free email course, they're sent a series of emails over the span of about five days. And these emails really help them to get into the habit of opening emails from you, which then increases the chance that they will open your future emails. Hence the larger open rate or the higher open rate, I should say. I've heard another business mentor talk about email courses who loves them just as much as I do, which is amazing. And um, I loved the point that he made that if you can get your subscribers a small tangible win through your free email course in a very short period of time, then what you do is you prove to them through that, that you can get them real results. And that helps them to feel like they can trust you. This all goes towards them in the future, choosing to always open your emails instead of becoming one of those, you know, people that just opts into someone's newsletter and then completely forgets that they ever did and just ignores your emails. My aim with my newsletter is to get my subscribers to actually really look forward to my emails arriving on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I want my email to be 
one of those emails that they go looking for in their inbox. I want them to actually look for the name of my business actively instead of my newsletters just being one of the many hundreds or dozens of emails that just is left unread. The next mistake is charging what you're worth. In the online business space, everyone's always saying, charge what you're worth, charge what you're worth. But charging what you're worth is a mistake because clients don't care what you're worth. They only care about the worth of the service that you are providing. So how much is that worth to them? How much is the result that your service provides them with? How much is that result worth? So whenever you're pricing something, it's tempting to think about, you know, your experience level and the amount of years that you've studied this, the hard work and the deliverables and all of those things. It's tempting to use those things to justify a price or use those things to try and explain your price to potential clients. But your clients just don't really care about that stuff, or at least they don't They don't care enough about that stuff. Do they care? Yeah, a bit, but not too much. When pricing, you have to ask yourself, what is the return on investment that my clients will get from this? And what is that worth? Is it a tangible return? Is it a measurable return? It's kind of unfortunate, but if the return that your clients get from your service can be measured, so let's say that they actually you know, they work with you to learn how to make more money, then that service is going to be easier to sell at a higher price point because the return on investment is easy to measure. So if someone's going to get clients or, you know, more money from your service or program, then that's a high return on investment and that's easy for them to see. Hence, it's a bit easier for you to charge more money for it. But ROIs aren't just monetary, they might get something else from working with you. They might get more time. They might get a feeling, a mindset, or a tool that can help them to get more time, money, or something else. So it's down to you as the business owner to help them understand what those things can get them. So forget talking about how many years of experience you have and the qualifications you have or the deliverables and focus mainly on talking about the return on investment that this person will get. Just quickly interrupting this episode to let you know about my free starter kit for booking clients consistently. If you are struggling to find clients and need a helping hand, my free guide shows you 12 reasons why you're not booking clients consistently and four simple yet incredibly impactful changes you can make to start booking more clients today. Head to nishawillery.com slash starter kit to download yours. And if you do, let me know what you think of it over on Instagram. Mistake number four is giving up on a marketing strategy after one try or one week or just a short period of time. Here is why this happens. For someone to feel motivated to keep doing something, they usually need to see results quickly from that thing, quite early on. And if we don't see immediate results, if we don't get instant gratification, then our brains tend to think this doesn't work. There's no point in me doing this. Let me just move on and try something else. 
The problem here is that rarely anything will give us immediate results. Results are built over time. We wouldn't go to the gym for one week and expect a six pack. So we can't expect to try a marketing strategy for one week and then it just blow up and bring in tons of sales. I'm sure that sometimes happens for people, particularly if you're an earlier adapter of a new social media platform, but it doesn't happen often. We live in a world where everything is instant. You can order a pizza and it can be here in 20 minutes. You can order whatever you want from Amazon Prime and it could be here tomorrow. You don't even have to write letters anymore to talk to your friends. You can just send them a text message and they get it instantly. We don't have to get up and go outside and play a game or go and hang out with friends to get a dopamine hit. If we want that, we can just open up Instagram. So society has become so used to getting things instantly that when something isn't instant and it requires effort and consistency, most people just give up. Recently in my business, we started reposting my reels to TikTok and when two of them only got about one or two likes, I think, my virtual assistant asked me, hey, do you still want me to continue posting these? Because the latest one only got two likes. And I really considered for a moment whether I should stop posting these reels to TikTok at all. But ultimately I decided to keep going because I know now from 10 years of being in this game that giving up on a marketing strategy after you've barely given it a chance is a surefire way of never succeeding at any. Mistake number five is relying on motivation, passion, or any feeling to fuel your work. A successful business owner doesn't wait to feel motivated or passionate before doing the work. On the days when they don't feel motivated to work, they let their purpose motivate them instead. For some, the purpose that fuels them might be the impact that they have on their clients or the legacy they're leaving behind. For others, it's simply the need for income so that they can continue paying their bills and saving and living the lifestyle that they are accustomed to. I got into a rut once where I never felt like working ever and I never felt motivated. And when I sat down to my laptop, I would feel physically sick and avoidant. And I'd basically end up numbing out and just slumping in front of the TV instead to avoid this weird discomfort that I was feeling every time I thought about work or tried to work. And I spoke to my therapist about it at the time because, side note, I think everyone should go to therapy. And she helped me to understand that sometimes we just have to remind ourselves that we need to work so we can keep affording to live the lifestyle that we enjoy. And sometimes we have to let that be enough to fuel us. You can even tell yourself, I'm embracing this discomfort now so that I don't have to deal with financial discomfort in the future. I found that mindset shift really, really helpful because then it helps you to see that even though present you doesn't wanna do this, you're doing it for future you and future you will be really thankful. Mistake number six is sending one email a month or not having a newsletter at all. 
So we've kind of already covered this point about, you know, you should have an email list because you own your list of subscribers, whereas you don't own your followers on social media platforms. There's also no algorithms involved with email lists, at least not that I'm aware of. So if people sign up to your newsletter and they regularly receive emails from you, there's not an algorithm dictating whether they do or they don't see your emails. Granted, they won't see them if you're doing spammy things, that they'll just go to their spam folder, but that's something that we're not gonna talk about in this episode. I'm guessing most of you aren't gonna be spamming your subscribers. An email list is a really brilliant marketing tool to have because it's so simple and easy to create emails and even to automate email funnels. I teach uh, my students how to create a six month automated funnel so that anyone who signs up to your email list is added to this funnel and they get six months of automated emails. It could be even longer if you wanted it to, it could be a whole year long. And this means that even if you stop posting to social media or something like that, you stop marketing so much because um, maybe life circumstances, whatever it may be, then your subscribers are still receiving content from you without you even doing anything. And they're still being made aware of your services. Quite a lot of online business owners, particularly here in the UK, um, they send emails once a month. And this makes no sense to me because if somebody doesn't follow you on social media and they simply found you online and they opted into your freebie, and then you're only gonna send them one email a month, they're gonna forget who you are and unsubscribe. So if we're talking about what is the best quantity of emails to send, I would say two a week if you can, one a week if you can't. I won't get into what you need to be saying in your emails to convert subscribers into clients and what goes into creating a six month funnel because that's all stuff in my paid program. So we'll move on to the next mistake, which is working full-time hours. I don't believe that you need to work five days a week to make a full-time income online. I know this because for 10 years I've had this business and I've rarely worked full-time. I have during busy seasons like launches or when times have been a bit slower and more challenging, but for most of those 10 years, I've usually worked three or four days a week. And I've had the time to do the things that I love doing like volunteer work and travel and nowadays uh, renovating my own tiny floating home. Working less days per week actually helps me to get more done because I have less time to faff around on social media or scroll on YouTube. My working days are limited and that's kind of good because it forces me to get as much done on those days as I can. I think that it also really helps us to avoid burnout by giving us time and space to rest and enjoy our hobbies and pursue passion projects that have nothing to do with our businesses. This is a mistake that I started to realise all almost all business owners make because it's an exercise that I take my clients through, my one-to-one clients. And it's also an exercise that I include in my courses because um, I feel like it's so important. I just, I need everyone who who works with me in whatever capacity or form to, to do this, to figure out 
realistically what income goal they need. So how much income they need to make to live their dream lifestyle. Because most people are wildly off base. So in my um, exercise, I get my clients to pretty much list out their expenses, the things that they're currently paying for, the things that they want to pay for and save for and invest. And then we work out from there how much money they need to make from their business to cover all of their business expenses, cover their tax and pay themselves enough take home pay to afford all of the things that they said they'd like to afford in their dream lifestyle. And when we do this exercise, it always comes out one of two ways. Either the person realizes that they don't actually need that much income to live their dream lifestyle, or more commonly, they realize that they need to make a lot more than they thought. So we get two camps of people, the people who have set this really big income goal, who don't actually need all of that income, or the people who haven't set an income goal that is high enough. And then we either have, well, we have two options. You can either simplify and remove some of the things that you said you needed to live your dream lifestyle, which could lower your income goal or lower the amount of income you need or we work on a business model and plan and new pricing, things like this, so that you can achieve the income goal you need to live your desired lifestyle. Mistake number eight is not knowing how much income you actually need to make to live your dream lifestyle. Honestly, if there is one thing that you do this month, please make it figuring out your income goal because there's a reason that I teach this in in every you know in every uh thing that I that I sell in in my coaching in my programs there's a reason I teach this and it's because most business owners don't know this information and they need to if they're going to live the lifestyle that they want which is the most important thing at the end of the day is your lifestyle and um fitting your business around that I'm not gonna go too deep into mistake number nine because we've kind of already covered it, but it would be not having a niche or um, not having clear messaging. We've already already gone into the niche part of it, but with the messaging, the two kind of go hand in hand. When I work with my one-to-one clients, what I do is I go and review their websites and their social media presence before we work together. And Sometimes I notice within people's messaging that it's just not really clear what they do. And if your niche isn't clear, then yeah, your messaging isn't gonna be clear either. It's always them trying to explain that they design, but they also mentor you, but they also can manage your social media. And it just gets a bit confusing about what exactly it is that they are an expert in and when it starts to get confusing, people won't want to hire you because people love hiring specialists. They love hiring experts. They don't necessarily want to go to one person to do a whole variety of jobs. If they're thinking to themselves, okay, I need a Squarespace website designer, they're way more likely to 
Hire the one, the, the person, the freelancer who specializes in Squarespace website design and mainly talks about that on their website, even if they do sell a few other extra services, then someone who's trying to come across like a jack of all trades and, you know, is not really clear on what exactly they do best. Of course, we also need to discuss the messaging side of that because people need to understand within five seconds of landing on your website, what it is that you do and who you do it for. So keep it really simple. Don't use fancy jargon. Don't, you know, use super long sentences. Try and keep your sentences as short as possible and as simple as possible because the goal is to make sure that even a five-year-old could understand what it is that you do. The last mistake is hoping clients just roll in without your effort or swinging to the other extreme and endlessly hustling, not finding an in-between balance. I think that it can be really difficult to find a balance between these two because we live in a world that glorifies hustle And then if we hustle, 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 and we find ourselves tired and burned out, we do tend to swing in the opposite direction where we don't wanna do anything or put in any effort or consistency. And we just hope the clients will find us. And sadly, that is not really gonna happen. You do have to find a balance in between. You cannot just hope that people will find your business without you talking about it. You can't just hope to make money without you putting in the effort. There was a business owner, I think it was Kate Ferris, who talked about this recently on her blog or podcast. She said that she realised that she felt allergic to effort. And I think that that was such a brilliant way to put it, is that sometimes we can feel like we're allergic to effort. We can make all the plans and we have all the hopes but we just don't wanna put the effort in. We don't wanna actually take action and implement the things that we say that we're gonna do. And I think if you're the kind of person who is doing this and doesn't wanna put in effort to their marketing or finds themselves procrastinating a lot, you need to ask yourself, why? Why are you procrastinating? Why don't you want to put in some effort? Why don't you want or why do you struggle to be consistent with a certain marketing strategy? The answers to those questions are the keys to you overcoming the procrastination that is standing between you and the results that you want. Sometimes people procrastinate because they are afraid that if they put in all this effort and it doesn't work, then, you know, they're afraid of feeling like a failure or like an imposter. Other people procrastinate because they don't enjoy the marketing strategy that they are thinking of trying, in which case they now need to change up that strategy and and make it something that they do enjoy. So answering those questions honestly will get you out of that procrastination slump and moving towards your goals. That's it from me in this episode. I hope that you really got something of value from it. And if you're making some of these mistakes, I hope that this episode has, you know, brought them to your attention so that you can get on track to 5K plus months. 
If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts because reviews help me get really great guests on the show and they help me to get this podcast in front of more business owners who might need it. So if you leave a five-star rating and review, take a screenshot and DM it to me over on Instagram and I will share your business on my Instagram story so that my followers can see your business and maybe you can get some more potential clients and customers. Okay, I hope that you enjoy the rest of your day and I will see you, or I should say speak to you next week here on the podcast.